0: Our text is coming from Mark chapter nine. We'll also read a little bit of background information in Exodus chapter 33. All right, we're people preoccupied with many things. We looked, uh, on average, the average adult spends about four hours on their phones. Four hours a day on their phones. Now, that's a lot of time. But teenagers blow that time out of the water. On average, teenagers spend seven to nine hours a day on their phones. Now, there's a little bit of research done. This is from the... uh, West Virginia Education Association, and, and this is what they found. On any given day, American teenagers, 13 to 18 year olds, raise your hand if you're between 13 and 18. Raise your hand, raise your hand, our 13 and 18 year olds, a couple liars in the room. 13 and 18, almost 13. So hey, th- they're talking about you. Average about nine hours of entertainment media use, excluding time spent at school or for homework. One of the most interesting findings in this landmark research study is the fact that two-thirds of teens think that they can multitask while doing their homework and they're wrong. Do you think you can multitask? Yep, if you, (laughs) they simply can't. The evidence from some of my colleagues at Stanford and Harvard school is clear. You cannot multitask and do your homework effectively, but two out of three American teens think they can. It gets in the way of your ability to concentrate and to synthesize information well. You can't do both at the same time. Now, when it comes to homework, obviously that's important, but that's nothing compared to life and the purpose for which you were created, which is to worship the God who created you, to see the glory that belongs to Christ. And my, what I am putting forth today, I think that most people miss out on the glory of Christ because they're consumed with lesser glories of lesser glorious things. We'll give an example. Sports can be a glorious thing. Team wins something, they celebrate, there's some glory in that. But it's a fading glory, isn't it? A new vehicle can be a glorious thing. It is an awesome feeling to push the gas pedal down and the car move. But eventually, that glory fades, doesn't it? Setting a record can be a glorious thing, but records usually fall. Your promotion, new job, new salary, can be a glorious thing, but that glory fades, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing how we're so preoccupied by the glory of small things? It's amazing what our community is fixated on. And it's not the glory of Christ. And so the title of the sermon today is The Glory of Christ, Being Captivated by the Glory of Jesus. And I'll use Camden. You don't care if I use you as an example. No, it's a good, good, example, good example. Camden is on my fourth grade intramural girl basketball team at Goodridge Elementary. Now, listen, we struggle. We struggle. We didn't win too many games. And by that, I don't think we won a game. We played the same team multiple times, but that's the crew up there. Right? Now, if you come to a game, you would say some of the girls on our team are good basketball players. Right? And I'd agree with you. Some of them can dribble. Some of them can catch a pass without it breaking their nose. They are better at basketball than some of our other girls. But guess who I also saw this year? Balin. Balin's in sixth grade. She has a tryout for her team. That sixth grade team will probably whoop our team, don't you think, Camden? yeah. Yep. So, I mean, if you come in and watch the sixth grade girls team, man, some of those girls are really good. But I also have a sophomore. She plays on the JV team, gets in some, a little bit of the varsity. And I would say, Ava, your JV team will whoop up on Balen's sixth grade team. Right? But then you have some dudes in the room that play on your church league men's team for basketball (laughs) and we might lose to the fourth grade intramural team but we play hard there's levels to this right so the lakers are struggling this year nba if you if you don't know nba they're a professional basketball team they have lebron james unreal but they're under 500 now if that bad nba team comes to scrimmage our fourth grade team wouldn't be fair Then, if you can imagine, and this is just my personal preference, the greatest team ever assembled, the 1992 Dream Team, we put our defensive star Camden on Michael Jordan, I don't like that matchup, right? Now, here's here's the point of this. While we understand there's different levels of basketball players, I wonder if we understand how we settle for fourth grade intramural glory when you have infinite glory asked and offered in Christ be overwhelmed by the glory that belongs to Christ don't settle for lesser glories and it's easy to say but this world will continue to throw things your way saying hey this is glorious this is glorious this is glorious don't buy it be captivated by the glory of Christ alright and let's get to the text and we'll see how to do this Two verses that you may want to, to write down. Psalm 34.8 and Psalm 16.11 talks about how you'll always be wanting more until you find God. Until you're captivated by the glory of Christ, you'll always be looking for something else to satisfy that. We are hungry for glory. That's why uh, so many people are pumped up by their own achievements. They're trying to tell people how glorious they are, but it's fading. It doesn't last. The glory you're looking for is only found in the Son of God. So Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? Or Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. That's where your heart's desires will be met. Don't settle for the glory of another. Never satisfy. And so we get to the text. And, and let's go to Exodus to give us some background. You have uh, the people of God, they're... Out in the wilderness, and, and God comes to them, and Moses is the representative. So in Exodus 33, you see Moses, and he's getting ready to go up on a mountain. Now this is important because Moses is going to show up in our text today. So Moses uh, in the Old Testament helped lead God's people out of bondage, out of slavery. God is working through this guy, very important person in the Bible, somebody that we need to look at. Right, he has a good example for us, not a perfect example. A very important figure in the Bible, and in Exodus 33, verse 7, we read about him. Now, Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Who was Moses meeting there? He's going to meet God. That's the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at their door of his tent. And they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of a cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance of the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship each one at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would leave the inside of the tent. Would not leave the inside of the tent. Now, do you think being in the presence of God had an impact on Moses' life? Game-changing. Game-changing impact. Let's keep reading. Uh, we'll skip on down to chapter 34, and we'll start with verse 5. The Lord came down in the cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord, the The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. Now this is very important. God's going to describe his characteristics. If there's something important for you to grasp, it is to know the character of God. This is it. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Bring the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now, this is very, very important. We have a compassionate God, a loving God, a just God, but he's not going to overlook iniquity. Don't you already see the need for someone to stand in the gap? If I'm going to experience the grace and goodness of God, but my sin separates me, I need somebody that can bridge that gap because he's not just going to pass over it. He's not going to say it's no big deal, come on in. How does God pass over it? Jesus. That's how he passes over it. So in Christ, he judges my sin so that I get to enjoy his compassionate grace for all of my days. All right, well, let's let's keep reading. Verse 8. Moses immediately knelt low to the ground in worship. Then he said, My Lord, if I indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. This is what I was talking about earlier. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, a stubborn people, His request was for you to go with us. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your possession. That's Moses' request. If we're going up to the promised land, Lord, we only want to go if you are with us. Then you skip on down to verse 29 of 34, chapter 34. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, He did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. So there's a glow on Moses' face. But I want you to think this isn't a sunburn, right? Uh, See how the people respond. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. Now these guys have seen some scary things. They lived through the plagues that got them out of Egypt. They crossed through a sea. On dry ground, they saw an army evaporated through the waters. But Moses' face, reflecting the glory of God, terrifies them. That's how powerful the glory of God is. Verse 31, But Moses called out to them, so Aaron and all the leaders and community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told them on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what he had commanded, been commanded. And the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil on his face once again until he went to speak with the Lord. Being in the presence of God, seeing His glory, transforms you and me. Our greatest need is to see the glory of Christ. Then you see that uh, the response, they build a tabernacle, and you get to Exodus chapter 40, and a a tabernacle is like a temple, right? It's a place where God's presence dwells. This is important because you're going to hear about it in Mark chapter 9. When you get to Exodus chapter 40, Verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. All right, have this in your mind. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, so what just happened? Remember this from last week. Jesus told the disciples, hey, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to lay my life down. He gave them this warning. And then uh, Peter's like, no, you're not, don't do that. And Jesus gets on Peter. And then he tells everyone who's going to follow Jesus, must take up their cross, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. Right? Six days after that, you get this event. Check this out. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared with them, with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, basically three tents, three tabernacles, three temples. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say since they were terrified. That's an understatement gets worse for Peter. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them. What does that remind you of? What did we just hear? Moses in the cloud, in the presence of God. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. What a word for us today. You want to know what to do with your life? Listen to Jesus. Suddenly, look around. They no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what does rising from the dead mean. Then they asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him. Just as it was written about him. And in a different in Matthew and in Luke, you also have this account written, and Jesus explains that Elijah was actually John the Baptist. And we know how John the Baptist's life ended. He was arrested and he was beheaded. He took up his cross, he denied himself, and he followed Jesus. You see, following Jesus isn't easy, it's just worth it. And you also have here, don't you see the, the interesting part? There's no need for a temple. Why? In the Old Testament, the glory of God shows up and they build this huge tabernacle and God's glory fills the building. But not here. And so now you know why Peter asked, hey, do you want me to build build you a house? Right, because that's what happened before and, and Peter knew what happened in Exodus. Why do they not need to build a temple now? Where is the glory of God? It's in Jesus. You see, Moses reflects his glory Jesus is the glory of God. That will change your life if it gets a hold of your heart. You want to see the glory of God? It's in the face of Jesus Christ. So there's a couple of things, and listen, we're going to have to pick up the pace. Hebrews 1.3, I think, is, is super helpful. Hebrews 1.3, just to, to help us catch a glimpse of this, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the image, the radiance of the glory of God. All right. Now, the question is, how do I catch a glimpse of this glory? So here, here are just a couple. This is not an exhaustive list. But if you want to catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ, here are a few ways you can do this. Here are a few ways. Hey, hey, and here's the, here's the hard part. Many of you will spend more time today on your phones looking at stuff that won't matter compared to this that could change eternity for you. We have a few minutes here to worship God in song and to hear from His Word, and students will spend nine hours today looking at different YouTube videos that won't mean anything. And so we've got to figure out, how do I get my eyes on Jesus to see His glory? This is how. Number one, you can see His glory. By looking at what Jesus has created. By looking at what Jesus, the creation points to the creator. And so just a couple of verses. Colossians 1.15 and 19 say this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and for in him the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. But right in the middle of that sandwich, you have this meat. Colossians 1.16, For by Jesus all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. If you want to see the glory and power that belongs to Christ, look at what He has created. John 19, or Psalm 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Enjoy the sunset, enjoy the sunrise, go on a hike, enjoy what He's created, and then reflect and worship God. You want to catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ. Look at what's great. Number two, consume the Word of God. There are no shortcuts. You want to see the glory of Christ. He has revealed himself in the Word of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John describe the life of Jesus. Consume those Gospels. Why are we spending so much time in Mark? So that we can see the glory that belongs to Christ. That verse, Hebrews 1 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. You want to know what comes after that? A warning. A warning from the writer to us. This is the warning in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What you feed on, or what you feed, will either help you or hurt you. What you feed will grow. Your appetite will grow for it. Or what you starve will die. This is very, very simple. All of us understand this. Right? Right? I used to not care about disc golf, and then we had a pandemic, and I still needed to go out and get some exercise, but I didn't want to run, but I wanted to cover up some ground, so I tried to figure out how to throw a disc. I'm terrible at it, but it's free, so I would go. And then I started to look at some pros, and they have stuff on different media sites, and this is how you throw an Anheuser, and, and what are the other forms? Heiser. Heiser, right? And I was starting to learn all this, and then I was like, man, I'm invested. I used to call it Frisbee golf, and now I know that's not the right term, right? It's disc golf. So don't waste my time with any Frisbee golf, because I do disc golf, (laughs) right? I started to eat, and I started to develop a hunger for something as silly as disc golf. But you want to know what happened? Pandemic ended with restrictions. We're going back to school. I don't have much downtime, and I stopped feeding on disc golf, and my hunger went away. Other things fill that spot. You you want to know the same thing happens with the Word of God. Like, oh, I just can't read. I don't like to read. You, You want to know what happens? You start feeding on the Word of God and your appetite will grow for it. If you start feeding on the Word of God, your appetite will grow for it. So many of our people miss out on the glory of Christ because they refuse to open up their Bibles. And it's like, well, that's so simple. This is the living Word of God. It will transform your life when you read it and apply it to your life. Spend more time in the Bible if you want to catch a glimpse of the glory of God. Number three, pray. Ask to catch a glimpse. This is what Moses does, right? In Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses said, please let me see your glory. This is what happens in John chapter 12. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was at Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, sir, we want to see Jesus. Right? They came to worship, and they asked, hey, we need to go to this guy. We need to see Jesus. And then Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip then went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What an awesome statement. The Gentiles were coming and trying to worship Jesus, and Jesus is like, you have no idea yet. That's when he goes to the cross and rises from the grave so that Gentiles like you and me can worship him forever. That's glorious. But all, it has to, all you have to do is ask. Now, now be careful when you ask because there's going to be a couple of things that God will do. So we're watching the UK game last night and the announcer gets loud and the crowd goes nuts and there was this great dunk. But listen, when you have five other people in your home, they're going to walk in front of the TV and you're going to miss it, right? They'll block the view. Now, in the same way, There are things in your life and my life that will block our view. Sometimes you can't see the glory that belongs to Jesus because there's other things that is blocking your view. So when you ask God, hey, help me see your glory, don't be surprised when he says, well, get this out of your life. you got to move this out of your life. So so that's one thing when you pray. Another thing, uh, sometimes you have to focus in another area. Right? You can't see the glory of God. Not because something's blocking it, you're, you're, look, but you're in the right place, but, but because you're looking at the wrong things. So uh, for Ava's basketball games, we try to survive quarter by quarter, right? With Dia, she doesn't watch the game. She doesn't care who's dribbling, who's shooting, who's scoring, who's playing. So we're walking around the, basically the balcony at Connor High School, thank goodness for the band. The band will take up a whole quarter by itself. You get the drums going, Dia doesn't know how to react, she'll just watch some drums. Right? And we're just surviving. But you want to know what happens? It's hard to focus when Julianne's walking, when I'm walking Dia, and Ava's doing something on the court, and you can miss it. It's happening, but we're not focused because we're doing something else. The same thing happens with the glory of Christ. You will miss out on the glory that belongs to Christ because you're distracted, focused on something else. So when you ask, don't think God will put something up in the sky He might say, move this out of the way. He might say, stop focusing here. Start focusing on here. All right, so just a warning. When you ask God, be ready for how he responds. Number four, remember what Jesus has done and will do. If you want to catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ, remember what he has done and will do. Uh, Make sure you're writing down Titus 2, 13 and 14. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You want to catch a glimpse of the glory of God? See what Christ has done for us. How did he redeem us? He laid his life down. The glorious creator of the universe comes to this earth, lives a perfect life, lays his life down. But he rose. And what is he doing now? He's redeeming a people for himself. That is glorious. And then what does he call us to? Be zealous for good works. And that can look a thousand different ways. That's how you can catch a glimpse. Mark 9.9 says this, As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, why would Jesus tell them that? They just saw the glory that belongs to Christ that he laid aside to become a man, to die on the cross, because we know Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He laid aside his glory, but those three got to catch a glimpse of it. Why does he say, don't tell anybody about this until after the resurrection? Because the glimpse that they saw there can't be explained outside the resurrection. You see, there's no crown without the cross. Do you see how the glorious Savior of the world accomplishes the mission of the Father, which brings glory to God? And now that glory is on display. When Jesus walks the earth and ascends to the Father, when He returns, people didn't know when He came the first time. Right? The angels had to appear to tell people. You want to know what happens when He returns again? Everything stops. And every person will bow the knee to the glory of the Father. So remember what He has done and remember what He's going to do. Number five, Catch a glimpse of the glory by faith. It's a personal relationship. If you do not know Jesus, you won't see the glory that belongs to him. If you know Jesus, you get to enjoy the presence of God. That's the game changer. And this is Colossians 1.27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the Christ in you. So if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you won't see this as glorious. You'll miss out. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, talking about fishermen. When you are out to sea, you like to know that there are plenty of fish in the sea all around your boats. Is that a good thing? If you're fishing, you want to know there's fish out where you're fishing, right? That gives you a chance to catch something. It is a fine thing to get among the great schools of fish, yes. But there is one thing better than that. Fish in the sea are good, but fish in the boat are the fish for you. Once, get them in the net, but better still, safe into the vessel, and you are glad. Now, Christ in heaven, Christ free to poor sinners is precious, but Christ here in the heart is most precious of all. Christ on board the vessel brings safety and calm. Christ in your house, Christ in your heart, Christ in you. That is the cream of the matter, the honey of the honeycomb, the gold that is valuable, but men think more of a dollar in their pocket. A loaf of bread is fine thing, but if we could not eat it, and it could not get within us, we might die of starvation. A medicine may be a noble cure, but it is always kept in the vial and never take a drop. What good will it be? Christ is best known when he is Christ in you. Have you ever put your faith in Christ? You want to experience the glory of God. It comes to a personal relationship with Jesus. The glory, the radiance of the glory of God in the face of Christ, and you can know him as Savior. That's powerful. Are you captivated with the glory of Christ? Your life's captivated by something. You're consumed with something. Is it the glory of Christ? And you want to know what happens with our hearts? They always wander away from Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? You ever noticed that? You might be walking with Jesus and you're on the spiritual mountain, but man, a few days or a few weeks or a month later, a year later, you're in a dark space. And your life and your heart's going after so many different things. Maybe today you need to. Ask God to help you be captivated by the glory that belongs to His Son. All right, so so those are our five ways to be captivated by the glory of Christ. But now we're going to look what happens when you're captivated by the glory of Christ. Now, listen, I know it's a little warm. We're going to fly through these. I need your best to stay with me. All right, I feel like we're tired this morning. I don't know what's going on. I need us to lock in for the next few moments. All right, here we go. Number one, what happens when I'm captivated by the glory of Christ? This happens. We will worship. This is what happened with Moses. This is what happens with uh, James, John, and Peter. They bow down and they worship. Every time we see that Jesus is glorious, uh, the reflex of our heart is worship. It happens every time. The reason why Covington doesn't worship Jesus is they don't see his glory. If they did, they worship. If we see the glory that belongs to Christ, we'll worship. We always give praise to what we find glorious. All right, so that's number One. Number two, when we're captivated by the glory of Christ, we will obey. That happened in Exodus. Tell us what we're going to do. They did it. That happens here uh, in Mark 9, verse 7. A cloud appeared. What does God the Father say? Listen to my son. With him, I'm all pleased. Listen to him. When you see the glory that belongs to Christ, it's easy to obey him. You see his goodness and you see his grace, you'll trust him. Uh, The the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The refrain says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into His wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Sin loses its shine if you can get your eyes on the brightness of the light that is the glory of Christ. Sin is not glorious when you can see the glory that belongs to Christ. And it makes it easier for us to obey Jesus. Number three, when we're captivated by the glory of Christ, we will look more and more like Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 This is where you see the transformation. If your life looks nothing like Christ, it has something to do with how you see the glory that belongs to Christ because when you see Jesus, you're changed. And we all, with unveiled face, right? Not like Moses who had to put a veil on to to keep the people from seeing the reflection of the glory of Christ. That's not us. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord. You want to be changed? You want to look more and more like Jesus? Get your eyes on the glory that belongs to Him. Number four, when we're captivated by the glory of Christ, we will live to the glory of God. Captivated by the glory of the Lord clarifies the goal of our lives. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, when you can see how glorious Jesus is, it makes all of our accomplishments insignificant compared to the greatness of Christ. You wanna know why so many people brag about their accomplishments? Because they see these lesser glories. Like scoring 100 points in a basketball game is a big deal to some people. But in light of the glory that belongs to the Christ, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, redeeming a people for himself, how big a deal is 100 points in a game? Don't be consumed with lesser glories. Be consumed with the glory of Christ. Live to his glory. Number five, when we're captivated by the glory of Christ, we will be unified as one. This is John 17, 22. It says, I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. When everybody's consumed with Jesus as being glorious, everybody will be unified on mission. What's our goal? To make much of Jesus. To make him known. Who cares who gets the credit? As long as Jesus gets the glory. Do you see how that brings somebody together? That's very important with us moving forward. If we come together with Ashton Avenue, the whole goal, make Jesus known. Point people to the glory that belongs to Christ. And then number six, when we are captivated by the glory of Christ, we will endure. You know where Jesus is going when he gets down the mountain? He, in Luke, it says he sets his face to go to Jerusalem where he lays his life down. The mountaintop helps him get through the valley. The mountaintop helps the disciples get through the valley. They experience the realness of the presence and the glory that belongs to Christ. Filet mignon, it took me forever to get a filet mignon. Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you guys have ever tasted filet mignon. And I know it's dangerous talking about it at lunchtime. But I worked with a lady who said, oh, Ben, you think this renegade sirloin is great. You haven't tasted nothing until you get filet mignon. And I was like, oh, whatever, whatever, whatever. We eventually got a gift card to a steakhouse. And I said, Joanne, you know what? I'm going for it. Give me that filet mignon. And I knew I was in for a treat when I smelled it. You know, have you ever smelled a really good steak? Man, mouth starts watering. <laughs> I can't wait. I went to get my steak knife. Didn't need it. It would cut with a fork. I'm like, oh, this is going to be special. This is going to be special. Put it in, I knew filet mignon was good. Right? I, I didn't get any new information, but I was experiencing it firsthand. That's what's changed. The hill at Holmes High School, I know, steep. I used to have to walk down the steps to go to practice. A few weeks ago, we went down sledding. And as I'm going down that hill, trying to record my three daughters that were with me going down this hill, I realized this hill is steep, right? But it was a different steep. I'm like, wow, this hill is steep. I hope I don't break my neck out here trying to sled ride with my little daughters. I knew it was steep. Experiencing it, I knew it was steep. You guys know Jesus is glorious, right? But do you know Jesus glory. You can know some facts about Jesus, but if you've never experienced what it's like to have your faith in Christ, you don't know the glory of Christ. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, today is a good day to do that. If your faith is in Christ, but you're in a valley, remember the mountaintops. Jesus doesn't change. Remember what he accomplished for us on the cross. Remember how he invites us to himself. Remember the presence of God. Listen, I've had some valleys and I've had some mountaintops in my life. And I do know this. Jesus doesn't leave me on the mountaintop and he doesn't leave me in the valley. And man, when I can get my eyes back on the glory that belongs to Christ, it puts everything else in perspective. And maybe that's what you need to do today. You haven't been gazing on Jesus. And and this is what I'll leave you with. What you gaze on will be what you grow into. What you gaze on will be what you grow into. If you're gazing on whatever else, sin or money or accomplishments, you might grow in that, but there's no glory in that. But when you gaze on the glory that belongs to Jesus, you'll start to look more and more like Him. And there's glory in that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, there's so much going on. What we desperately need is to see your glory. The Bible teaches that Satan has blinded the mind of unbelievers from seeing your glory. Lord, we ask that you remove that from those around this building, from those who don't know you in our schools, and help them see the glory that belongs to you. But, Father, for those in this room, I pray that if anyone has never put their faith in your son, that they do that today. Father, I thank you for your son not just going to the mountain, but also going to the hill where he died on the cross. Thank you for what he accomplished with defeating the grave and death, for standing in the gap for me. Father, I pray that we get our eyes on him. Lord, I pray that you change us as a result of your word. Help us see your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.